Welcome to Cowan Insights, a space that brings leading thinkers together to share insights and ideas shaping the world around us. Join us as we converse with the top minds who are influencing our global sectors. This is the Visionary Podcast series about visionary ideas and people. My name is Oliver Chen. I'm Cowan's new platforms, retail and luxury analyst. In this episode of our retail and luxury visionary podcast series, we're excited to be spending time with Tom Nolan, the CEO of Kendra Scott. We'll discuss jewelry innovation at an accessible lifestyle brand. How is it to be the CEO of a founder-led company and navigating both the direct-to-consumer channel and creating special physical stores as well? Who is Tom Nolan? He's the CEO of Kendra Scott. He comes with over 20 years of retail experience in brand building with Ralph Lauren, Condé Nast, and Prospect Brands. Kendra Scott started over 20 years ago. It's a leading fashion accessories business with over 100 stores across the US and partnerships with various specialty retailers, including Nordstrom and Neiman Marcus, among others. Tom, thanks for joining us. We're happy to have you here. Thanks for having me, Oliver. So Tom, what does the Kendra Scott brand stand for? What were some unique decisions you had to face this past year as well? Yeah, well, it's it's hard to sum it up because the brand stands for so many different things for me and, and, and our customers. I think if I was gonna sum it up as briefly as I could, I think it stands for making a difference. We founded the brand and Kendra founded the brand on three principles of family, fashion, and philanthropy. And philanthropy really being at the core of what we care most about. And her vision really when she started this business with just $500 in a dream now 20 years ago was to make a difference in the world and create an environment for people like her at the time that wanted to buy jewelry but couldn't afford things. And she saw white space out in the marketplace to create something uh, that sold beautiful jewelry that made her feel good about herself at an accessible price point. Um, and doing it while doing good in the world. Uh, philanthropy is one of our main pillars and we like to, at every chance possible, uh, do good and help our local communities where we have our retail stores and where our customers live. And at the end of the day, I think our mission is understanding that the customer's our boss and we work for her and she ultimately signs our paycheck. So we do that uh, in, a, in a really good way. I, I'm very proud of it, created a great culture here, work environment and organization and by doing so. As it relates to the question of what happened last year, 2021, I, you know, I don't know who else felt like this, but you know, after going through COVID in 2020 and everything that happened, it felt like uh, things couldn't, couldn't have gotten any more challenging. And I feel like 2021 was actually more challenging than 2020 from a, from a business perspective, because we had so many things happening. Uh, different states had different regulations as it relates to COVID. Customer buying behavior had really changed. A lot of people who had been traditional brick and mortar customers had shifted to online and we had to react and pivot to those things really quickly. Um, as a company, we really did. We exceeded our expectations and ultimately exceeded our customers' expectations in doing so. Tom, what about Kendra Scott's product positioning? What separates the brand apart? And um, what do you think about customer segments and how you approach pricing as well? It's a very accessible yeah. And aspirational yeah. product. Yeah, there, there's 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 really there's four things that we think about as it relates to product, and that's 
shape, color, material, and value. Um, Kendra, as I said, when she started the business, really saw white space in the marketplace for affordable, semi-precious stone jewelry that was out there. So from a product perspective, we want our product to be accessible. We want it to be incredibly high quality. We use a lot of natural gemstones and color. It's vibrant. We're based here in Austin, Texas. And Austin, Texas certainly has its own specific vibe. And uh, I think the brand really represents that well. And it all goes back to when you work at a founder-led business, especially one whose name's on the building, it all goes back to what that, that, that founder stands for. And then it's the rest of our jobs to really execute that vision. And what she stands for is being a really good person. When she launched this business, uh, like I said, she, had, she was down to her last $500. She started making out of the spare bedroom of her, of her house. She was a single mom to two young boys and really wanted to have nice things, but couldn't afford it. And I think the, the impetus for the business was really that there were a lot of people like her um, and she wanted to provide something that wasn't out there for those. Now, as, as the 20 years has gone by, the, the white space has diminished a little bit. A lot of others have kind of gotten into our category. And I think it's the reason we've continued to be successful and consistent is the fact that we've stood by the same principles. We've been really disciplined and diligent about making sure we were there for the customer, making sure we do good in the community um, and making sure we put really high quality goods out there that have a high value proposition to our customers. Dovetailing on that, how do you balance being both aspirational and accessible? What does that mean to the Kendra Scott brand? Yeah, I think, you know, three things that we think about, three A's, if you will, is aspirational, accessible, and then authentic, right? As a, cons as a consumer, I, I think what we try to do here, what I try to do is look at things through the lens of a customer, right? I look at it through the lens of my daughters and my wife and my mom, who are our customers, and myself as a customer, um, making sure that we storytell effectively, that's really, really important. But it all starts with, it all starts with product, right? We got to make product that's in high demand. We got to tell a story that makes sense to customers and create something that they want. I think there's a lot of companies that make jewelry, right? Um, we win because we make connections, right? So it's not about, it's not so much about the, the product that we're selling. It's about the connection that we're making with our customers and creating that stickiness, whether it's a brick and mortar customer or an online customer or a customer through one of our great wholesale partners. We want to know they really understand that they're, they're buying something greater than an earring or a necklace or a ring or a bracelet. And I think if we continue to do that effectively and connect ourselves to those customers and the communities that they live in, we're gonna to continue to be successful. Another unique aspect clearly is being founder led. Um, Tom, what does that mean to you and how has that uh, manifested in, in strategy and innovation and your thoughts on the years ahead? Yeah, I mean, what it means to me is I'm thankful. I mean, I wake up every day and the company's bigger than it was the day before, which is great. Uh, I wake up every day really thankful that I get to work in an environment and with people that I genuinely care about and, and, and have affection for. And I have a business partner in Kendra that is like a sister to me and one of my closest friends. And I think it allows us, it gives us a level of trust in one another to allow us to really do our job effectively. Um, and it's hard. I've been a founder of a business. I know, understand the challenges that go along with that and how hard it is to, to give control to others because it's like giving custody uh, of your child to somebody. So that I, I'm proud of that. I'm proud of the person that she is. I'm 
very proud to hand out my business card to people. I love telling our story because it's one that a lot of people can relate to. Um, similar to, I, I make an analogy, this is a really high praise of Kendra to Oprah. I mean, everybody relates to Oprah. It could be somebody in the Midwest, somebody on the coasts, uh, somebody that's wealthy, somebody that's not. And Kendra really has that sensibility about her. The fact that she's from Kenosha, Wisconsin, um, our company's based here in Austin, Texas. We, we do it a very different way. And there's an approachability to our brand that a lot of others don't have. And at the same time though, there is an aspiration to that. I, the number of times that I hear from people when we're putting Kendra in, a, in an image for selling a piece of jewelry where they ask what she's wearing and the kind of home that she's in. I mean, she's somebody that, that people aspire to because she is the, uh, she's the great American dream. I mean, she started she started with $500 and she's turned into one of the most successful and wealthiest self-made women in the country. So telling that story is easy and it resonates. A key pillar of the brand is philanthropy, you know, in addition to family and fashion. What does that mean to Kendra Scott and how uh, does this impact your strategy at Cowan? Um, we're quite big believers of profits with purpose and this idea of transparency and mission. Yep. Well, it means everything to us. I, I, I'll tell you a, a quick story because it's important and I don't think I've shared this with you yet, but I, I, I think every company has an ESG story and every company uh, cares about certain things and that's important. And that's that's where the world has moved and it's, it's where it should have been a long time ago. Philanthropy to, to us really means, means it, it's hard to articulate it because it means that much to every employee that works here. Um, when she started this business, the reason we had so much, so much connection with our customers was Kendra always said yes. She she always had something to give to people in need, and the way that we approach philanthropy is on a very one-to-one -one basis. Now we partner with great organizations like Inheritance of Hope, um, and others, but it, it's really more about at a local basis. We want to help families and people in need, and it could be somebody lost their job, a family member got sick. And we will do events in our stores and we did 14,000 of them last year in 116 stores on a one-to-one -one basis. Uh, and sometimes those are with large organizations, but oftentimes they're just with an individual and the connection that makes and the word of mouth of how that spreads and ultimately the good that we get to do is really impactful. The story I wanted to tell you because it's, it's relevant to me and ultimately how I wound up here at Kendra Scott was, is an important one because I think it puts into perspective kind of how we think about things. Um, I joined the company's board eight years ago and I was in New York for a board meeting and uh, we had had a transaction with a minority private equity partner. And as part of that, Kendra had asked me to join the organization in a full-time operating capacity. And I, I, I was not looking to uproot my four children and move to, to Texas. I hadn't spent a lot of time here, but while I was making the decision, Kendra asked me to go to a Kendra Cares event, which is when we take uh, our mobile color bar and color bar. We were the first jewelry brand to start a create your own customization department where you could go in and make your own jewelry while, while you wait right there uh, for a, a gifting event, for a wedding party, whatever. Um, anyway, we take a mobile version of that and we bring it into hospitals. Kendra had asked me to go to one that we were doing in Sloan Kettering at the time. And I'm from New York. So uh, familiar with Sloan Kettering and uh I found out it was going to be in Sloan Kettering's pediatric oncology ward. And I have, as I mentioned before, four children, and I'd never been in a pediatric oncology ward, knock on wood, and I hope to, to never be in one with one of my children. I hope nobody ever has to be in one. But 
needless to say, I was not looking forward to going to this event because uh, I, I expected to be really sad. Anyway, I get in the elevator, dreading going up to the to the event, uh, and the the door opens, and I can hear before the door opens like uh, loud music coming, like I was in a nightclub or something. And the door opens, and there were balloons, and there were clowns, and uh, it, I was going into this place expecting it to be a very sad and demure a, a place uh, for obvious reasons, and it was the happiest place in the world. And I spent the next couple hours making jewelry for these kids and their parents and their grandparents and their siblings and relatives. And it was the happiest place in the world. And I got to really, truthfully, for the first time in my life, and I had done philanthropic things before, but for the first time in my life on a one-on-one basis, changed somebody's lives, even for a moment. So I, I left, I left uh, got across the street there, uh, sat down and, and lost it as a father. And then the next thing I did was call my wife and said, we're moving to Texas because I'm never going to be able to make an impact like this at an organization I work for ever. And to me, that sums up how we think about philanthropy. Uh, it changed my life that day and it makes coming to work really easy. And I'm thankful that we do it. And I know that I'm not the only one that feels that way. And I know that's a little bit long winded, but I thought it was important to share. This is a category that's so emotional and purpose driven and what underpins, you know, the storytelling behind um, this jewelry is, is essential. And we need, we need a color bar everywhere. We'll have to get one at our conference if we can. But for sure, there's one in Soho. You should go check it out. It's, it's, uh, it's a good one. Um, so Tom, as you think about um, the years ahead, what are highlights for growth priorities and also channels, you have really unique uh, lifestyle stores that are highly customized and interesting. Yeah, I mean, look, as a, as a high growth company, Oliver, we're always looking at both channel expansion and innovation. Last year, we launched Scott Brothers by Kendra Scott was our first forte into, into a men's line. Uh, one of our largest product categories to grow uh, our customer base. We felt like 30% of our customers in the stores are men. So it was, a, it was an easy way for us to kind of pick up some low hanging fruit. It was, a, it was the first time we've launched a sub-brand offering a whole new customer base and expansion there is really key. We've got really exciting plans this year to expand this collection and provide other innovative product offerings to our customers. And then as far as channel expansion goes, we're really happy with our store experience. We are an experiential brand. It's our special sauce. The way that we connect with our customers in the store, we don't talk about conversion, we talk about connection. Um, so we're going to continue to thoughtfully open new stores and expand our footprint in a pretty material way in the future. I've been bullish on retail. I was bullish on retail going into COVID. I'm bullish on retail coming out of it. Um, for example, we just had our first grand opening of the year uh, on Thursday of this week at Disney Springs, where we really leaned into customization offerings. We have an entire back section of our store called our Customization Lab. Um, offering an even broader color bar assortment. So th those, are some of, those are some of the ways. And our brand is still relatively small, Oliver, so it allows us, we've still got a lot of, a lot of runway ahead to, to kind of preach the gospel, so to speak, to people that don't know who Kendra Scott is. Tom, who are your core customers? What's your main acquisition tool as you think about um, the years ahead and driving awareness and retention and loyalty? Yeah. So, you know, the customer, the customer question here is a challenging one, Oliver, and it's one we've been trying to unpack and understand better since the, the second I got here. But the reality is 
I have a 13 year old daughter, I have a wife, I have a 17 year old daughter, I have a mom and a lot of aunts and uncles and others. And every one of them is our customer. When you look at our customer segmentation, it's pretty evenly split from you know 18 to 24 up until 80. And what's, what's great about that is we've got a really broad base of customers. What's challenging about that is how we allocate dollars to each market segment effectively because we don't have infinite amounts of resources, we have finite resources. The other thing that's interesting and I think really unique to our business is my 13 year old eighth grade daughter, my wife and my mother can all be wearing literally the same exact product and none of, neither, none of them look ridiculous doing so, right? And that is, I think that's a unique aspect to our business. As we think about acquisition, um, our greatest acquisition is people that are omni-channel customers, right? Those who shop at both our retail, one of our retail stores or our website, they have the cust highest customer lifetime value and getting more of them to do so. The customer traditionally, uh, just broadly speaking, not our customer, but just broadly speaking, customer related, customer, people are habitual, right? I mean, you shop in your local store, you are a brick and mortar person or you're an online person, COVID, COVID really shook that up. It, it forced companies, not just ours, but all companies to think differently about how they were gonna acquire customers. More importantly, how they were gonna serve customers. So the, the short answer is, we're gonna be wherever she is, right? And however she wants us to serve her. Um, we're seeing that lean a little bit more into the, the web category, but we still see a lot of a very strong uh, appetite in the retail world and, and even in the wholesale world as well. We have some amazing wholesale customers and we've really leaned into them coming out of last year, going into this year. But, you know, the, 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 the challenge for some traditional, we're not a traditional D2C company, but the challenge for some traditional D2C customers or companies is um, efficiencies are getting a lot more challenging, right? Everybody's fishing in the same pond. Um, and we've had a tendency and a history and a high success rate of zigging when everybody else is zagging. And I think we're going to continue to do that. Very encouraging. Tom, um, what about the accessory market? and how has it changed over time? I mean, you've been a pioneer in redefining what this even means, but what are some key trends that you're seeing? You know, the, the ex I, and I used to work at Ralph. Ralph used to always say, uh, as soon as you're in fashion, you're out of fashion. And that, that stuck with me for whatever reason. I definitely, I definitely was not in fashion at the time. So it resonated with me because I felt like I was never in fashion. Uh, the accessories market, every market's changing. Customer buying behaviors are changing constantly. Fashion is constantly changing. I think one of the unique selling propositions about our organization is we own, we own our, the creative process start to finish. We don't outsource anything as it relates to design. Um, and we work for a founder who inspires our customers and each of us every day. And we look to her to help us steer the ship as it relates to where the brand's going, uh, where product innovation is going. And she's she's got a pretty good track record of doing that really effectively. And I think the reason for that is, Oliver, that we we look we look to where, where the customer wants to be and we listen to her, right? We spend a lot of time asking questions. We spend a lot of time listening. Um, and we've done that really effectively. And I think that's why our business has been so strong in that you know, we, we, we do set trends, right? I think every brand that has a strong loyalty and customer following is setting trends, but we want to hear what the customer wants and then be able to react to her in a specific way. The fact that we, we own the process from start to finish 
and have some amazing relationships on the supply chain and supplier side of things um, makes us really nimble and able to pivot and move quickly as it relates to wherever fashion and the accessories market is going. I think when you look at TAMS as it relates to the market opportunity and the market size, it's, it's tremendous, right? And, and we want to capitalize on capturing our part of that, whatever it is. Another key theme at Callan is this idea of magic and logic. As you think about logic um, in terms of supply chain and or data, um, what are some key things you're focused on in, in those aspects of your business? On the supply chain specifically? Yeah, yeah, and also thinking about um, different data points you may see that help inform innovation. Yeah, I mean, look, we, we, we talk about it in a little bit different way. We talk about it facts versus feelings, right? I mean, I think, a lot of people make feeling-based decisions and those are important sometimes because a lot of the time strong leaders especially strong founders have great intuition and great guts balancing that with facts is really important so in general data is really important to us we've spent a lot of time and resources recently investing in data and customer data and understanding that the mechanics of our business right as it relates to the supply chain we've spent a lot of time in diversifying our portfolio to make sure that we weren't relying upon any singular source, any singular country, any singular region um, for that point. I mean, I think we've all seen what happens um, when freights get back, when the uh, shipping's, shipping lanes get backed up and freight prices go up, it, it creates a, a real downstream effect on the market. So we try to always do our best of staying ahead of those things, paying real close attention to our supplier network, paying very close attention, having strong relationships with our shipping and freight partners to ultimately make sure that when the customer opens up a box, they're having a great, a great experience. And we, we, we really lean very heavily on data and trends there for that. And have invested a lot of time and resources in that to make sure that we're doing as good a job as we can there. Tom, our last question is about Kendra Scott and your key core competencies, as well as how you approach innovation and this idea of continuous innovation and any closing remarks you may have as well, Tom. Thank you. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, in, we're, in, innovations are really, uh, it's a subjective word, right? It means a lot of different things for a lot of different people. We, we want to constantly innovate um, and be doing a better job for our customers and for ourselves and for our founder. We've got a lot on our plate. Uh, I've got a lot on my plate this year and next year. Some of the key milestones that we're thinking about for 2022 is a, we try to keep it really simple, Oliver, right? I mean, we, we, talk, we talked about the three A's. Uh, we are a company that focuses very heavily on having an entrepreneurial spirit, right? Every day we want to think and act like an entrepreneur. And I think what that means to me is accountability. Um, a lot of people think entrepreneurs just come out with crazy ideas. I, I, having been one, I think it's just the accountability of doing the right thing for your customer and then doing what you said you're going to do, right? I think over the years, that's really got lost in translation. There's, I'm a big under-promise and over-deliver person. If I say we're going to do something, then we're going to do it. And I have our expectations for our customer, our, our company base to be able to doing the same thing. So innovation to me is just about making small steps every single day to get a little bit better, paying attention from a design perspective of, you know, where do we get it right? Where do we get it wrong? And wherever we got it wrong, let's make it right. Wherever we got it right, let's make it a little bit more right. 
and paying attention to our customers and really being innovative for them, Oliver, and making sure that we're delivering a better experience for her every time than she had last time and exceeding her expectations and mostly doing what we said we were going to do as it relates to her. You know, we, we listen to her as it relates to product and we've got some really exciting plans ahead for further product offerings. Um, and growing this business the way that we have for the last 20 years, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about it. And I think the last couple of years has really galvanized our organization and it's really galvanized our customer base to put us in a really good position for the future. Well, Tom, it was great to spend quality time with you. Um, this changing nature of customer centricity. Um, second, this founder-led lifestyle accessible brand is quite unique. And third, hearing about philanthropy, family, and fashion and how this really comes together at Kendra Scott was fascinating. Thanks for your time, Tom. Thanks for having me, Oliver. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for the next episode of Cowan Insights.